Welcome to the Two Degrees C Climate Chat Podcast, your weekly guide to what's happening within the climate around the world. My name is Neil Vinnikirk, the Executive Director and a founding member of Two Degrees C. Along with co-founders Dr. Carson Shine and Jenny Disson, we cover issues relating to the climate crisis. So join us as we explore in the Two Degrees C Climate Chat. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for the Two Degrees C Climate Chat Podcast. Joining me today, Dr. Carson Shine, welcome back. And today's guest is a world champion freediver, a conservationist and adventurer, Megan Haney Greer. So Carson, before we bring Megan into the conversation, I wanted to frame this in the ocean sense. And because last week we spoke about the ocean being a uh, carbon sink. And I wanted to expand out in that, uh, the idea of trapping that CO2. Perhaps you can help us understand why higher ocean temperatures are a threat to biodiversity in the oceans. Of course, I can, I can give you one uh, really uh, critical example right now is uh, the coral reefs. That the corals, most of them have a very narrow tolerance of temperature. So, you know, a small range above which is about 31 and a half or so degrees Celsius, um, they really start to stress out. And when they stress out, they expel their symbiotic algae that's, that's within them, which supplies about 90 to 95% of their nutrition. Um, and if that is prolonged for more than a, a week or two, these, the, first off, the corals start to bleach. That's because it's the algae giving them their, their color. But um, they also starve. And if it goes on long enough, they'll starve to death. And to can they regain that zooxanthellae algae uh, at a later date if the temperature is reduced? Absolutely. If, if they are still alive, um, the, they can recapture those uh, zooxanthellae and, uh, and recover. Um, but uh, over beyond a, maybe about two weeks is the, uh, is the critical uh, threshold. Joining us today, longtime friend, Megan Haney-Greer. Megan, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you guys. Nice to see you too. Megan, um, maybe you can introduce yourself to the audience and to the listeners um, so that they can uh, understand um, your background. Absolutely. So my name is Megan Haney-Greer and I am... Uh, my roots, my watery roots go way back to establishing the first free dive record for the United States for men and women back in 1996. So I am an old school free diver. And that has really been the common thread throughout my whole eclectic water career. I, I have, I'm a television personality. I've done a lot of executive uh, production and on camera work and also uh, stunt diving for television and films. But um, through it all, I am a longtime conservationist and an imperfect conservationist, which is my new project that I have going on right now called The Imperfect Conservationist. And uh, yeah, I just kind of have tied all of these things together. And, you know, I, I 
fight for the ocean, speak up for the ocean and try and use all my, all my superpowers um, and skill set, bringing that together to really help raise awareness about the issues going on underwater. And most importantly, what we can actually do about it as individuals. That's awesome. Yeah, we're, we're lucky to have you, Megan. Thank you so much. We know that you're, you're such a dynamic person. I mean, you've even taken Jacques Mayol diving. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Uh, Jacques Mayol was um, a good, dear friend of mine uh, and also a mentor early on in my freediving career. And uh, for any you know, listeners that aren't familiar with Jacques Mayol, he really is the, the father of freediving in many ways. And he's also, um, he was the first person to go past 100 meters, uh, which prior to that, on, when freediving, the doctor said it, it wasn't possible. And so he really was a, a trailblazer in that way. And also he's the, uh, the fiery Frenchman that the, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Luke Besson did, he, so his, his, li his life was the inspiration for uh, The Big Blue that by Luke Besson. Yeah. yeah, one of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's very cool. But yeah, Jacques Mayol, and, and he's, he's missed dearly. He's been gone many years now, but he's an amazing, amazing person and amazing free diver. So after you set up your, the world champion records, um, you went back to school and you studied um, ecology and evolutionary biology. Do you think that being in the water uh, has brought you closer to nature and how's that prompted you to live your life? Yes. Yeah, so the, the short answer is absolutely, you know, being in the water has brought me closer to nature. That is where I tap in, where I connect to, <clears throat> excuse me, it's where I connect to everything that is bigger. You know, it's where you can really get that, that expanse of, of being part of the bigger system. And it's really, for me being underwater, it's, it's such it's like a spiritual experience, first of all. And it's also where you get to really feel big and small at the same time, which is just this really cool energy to tap into. You know, you're, you're down there, like my favorite free dives are down there sitting on the bottom and just looking up at that expanse of of just this giant fishbowl of water weighing down on you, you know, and you can really see how small you are in the bigger picture. But then also it seeing the impact underwater that we have had as humans and seeing things change over time and and all of all of those changes, you know, it just really it really drives home the idea of how impactful we are as well so you get to be big and small at the same time and really really soak that in and you come out of the water then with a responsibility to share what you've seen and and I think us as divers you know especially like we have such a unique a, a unique platform to be underwater and see that and then bring it back so we're we're uniquely positioned to be stewards of the ocean and then I totally forgot the second part of your question Neil what was the second part? <laughs> How has that prompted you to live your life? Um, so really my, you know, my experience underwater and then when I went back to school and got a better understanding of how, of ecology and how the systems all work together and how we fit into those systems and, and the impacts that we can have, you know, it, all of these things together 
uh, from the background and my education and, you know, the, the work that I do in conservation and speaking up and out for the ocean. And it's, it's all influenced how I live my life, you know, to the, to the highest limit. I mean, I, I, uh, or to the, I should say to the highest level, because everything I do comes back to that. Um, you know, my company is, is MHG ocean impact. And although I'm very diverse and I do a lot of, you know, work on land, I live in Colorado now, so I'm landlocked and I get back to the ocean as much as I can. And I've done expeditions that are land-based mixed with water. Like I have all that, but it all comes back for me to the impact on the ocean and making that a positive impact. And so for me, it's influenced every part of my life from, you know, work, play, being a mom, everything. Coming up next. Megan, I'm I'm curious, how has your ocean journey guided your understanding of uh, climate change and its effects in the ocean? when we return to the Two Degrees C Climate Chat. Described barefoot luxury, the casually sophisticated Southern Cross Club is Little Cayman's original resort. This hidden gem is as unique and vibrant as the island it inhabits. A true island treasure, it is the perfect place to dive, fish and relax. Its 14 beachfront bungalows are situated on 900 feet of white sand, only minutes from the world-class diving found only in Little Cayman. Visit www.southerncrossclub.com to book your escape to tranquility. Hi, I'm Adrian with Quest Dive Adventures, and you're listening to the Two Degrees C Climate Chat Podcast. Megan, I'm, I'm curious... How has your ocean journey guided your understanding of uh, climate change and its effects in the ocean? Yeah, so, oh, that's a good question. You know, my my time underwater has, has really just been, it has been a journey and it's been an eye-opening one to the extent that I, I had witnessed the changes over my whole lifetime. So I moved down to the Florida Keys when I was about 11 years old, took to the water right away, spent, you know, every waking minute minute that I wasn't either doing chores or homework underwater or on the water or whatever. And, and since then I've seen these gradual changes and I wouldn't have, you know, especially at that young age and even throughout my teens and early twenties, I wouldn't have attributed those changes to climate change. It was just, I could see our human impact and I didn't like a lot of it. You know, there were, there were different species that I just wasn't seeing as often. And I'd see increasing amounts of, you know, pollution and just trash. And and then increasingly it became plastic pollution more than anything else. And, and all of that. And I mean, you know, it's interesting, you guys, I, I remember back because I grew up spearfishing down there. Um, and really now I don't take anything to speak of from the ocean because I, I just like prefer to see it, you know, maybe film it and experience it, but I'd rather, I, I've stopped doing that. But back then I used to spearfish and, you know, we used to look out in the blue water for floating trash for sea trash, because it was amazing out in the blue water that all the little fish would come around it and then the bigger pelagic fish and all of that. So it created like in this vast blue, it would create this little, you know, plastic ecosystem, if you would. Um, But it, 
And I, so in that sense, I was just like, oh, it's just part of you. You'd occasionally see something out there, but it wasn't super common. And now it's, it's very um, rare that you would ever come back from a dive or come back from a trip out in the boat and not see a lot of trash. And so all of these, you know, things over time I saw to, like changing and underwater and on the surface, but the really, um, the biggest impact on my life of where I've like, where it's sunk in that, wow, this is climate change. And this is, these are some huge changes that I'm seeing underwater happened actually just a couple years ago with um, seeing it through my son's eyes. And so he was at the age, he's just about eight. So he was probably about five at the time. And he was, um, that's such a great age. You know, he's just soaking it in and he's at a level where he can really understand a lot of what's going on and what I'm telling him and, and all of that, like in the, the nature and science ecosystem type of way, you know? And so he was asking a lot of great questions and we'd be out snorkeling and he'd be, you know, snorkel speaking to me like, oh, mom, it's so pretty, it's so pretty. And I realized how, like, I would agree with him. Yeah, it's so pretty. And every single time I recognized, I was saying, I would stick my head out of the water, take my snorkel out of my mouth. And I was saying, well, yeah, but when mommy was a little girl, it was like this. And, oh, look at this, mom, it's so pretty. Yes, it is. But when mommy was a little girl, buddy, this is what it was like. I was explaining what live rock was to him. And I was showing him the one anemone out in the whole flats that we could find, you know? And I'd say, this used to be covered with anemone and there was live rock and sponges and little angelfish and all this stuff. And, you know, now we're seeing, it's, there's, still, there's still life, right? It's just very different life. And it's, it's, you know, in, in many senses, a lot of the brown and green algae has taken over. And so there's still things growing there, but then that's attracting different species of fish. So maybe it's just the little gray snappers or just the, you know, something like that. And, and um, it really, that has had the biggest impact on me where I saw clear as day, through his eyes, because I was explaining the stark difference, like his, what he was seeing and seeing is beautiful, you know, bless his heart. Like it was amazing. Like he, I love showing him all these different places that I've been able to take him underwater. But when I was comparing what his impression of what he's seeing right now, and then comparing that with what I grew up seeing down there, it was such a stark difference. And it just was one of those aha moments that just hit me in the forehead. And I was like, wow, my home reef is so devastated. I mean, it like, you know, I've cried underwater many times and it's, it has a huge, it has a huge impact. And it, I think it's really, uh, you know, I, I want to bring that around positive because I think that this really is a positive story. So, and then I'll, I'll wrap up with that. And, and you guys, if you have any more questions or whatever, but I, I, uh, so not wrapping up, but you know what I mean? I want to bring that back around positive, but because that's how I roll. But um, I think that this awareness that we have, this, this, um, this growing awareness that we collectively have around climate change is, is now, right? Like this is such an incredible time 
to be alive and to be working in the field of conservation and to be able to understand things in the way that we do right now, which previously, you know, you know, 10, 20 years ago, we didn't understand it in these terms, at least not as widely. And so what's so cool right now is we have the understanding, we have an incredible amount of technology and it's growing, of course, as you guys know, far better than me. And also we have this audience that's being impacted and that's aware of how these things they're, they're you know collectively they're becoming we all are becoming so aware about how everything is so interconnected so that our trash here in Colorado absolutely impacts the coastline you know and and what we do here impacts other countries and vice versa like not just in a political sense or whatever but in this deep biologically connected way running through the blue veins of our planet you know and I think that's so amazing and that was the that was how everything connected for me with like where we've been and what I saw growing up where we are right now when I was explaining this stark difference of what we're seeing underwater to my little boy and then recognizing like man we're all getting this yeah we are on board and this is the time that we strike when the iron's hot and inform everybody with, with what we can do, what I can do, what you can do like individually, you know? So I, I think it's a pretty incredible time to be involved um, in these things that we care so deeply about. And I think it's, it's going places. And, you know, along those, (laughs) along those same, that same vein of interconnectedness, I mean, you've been part of the snake Island team on the discovery channel and you've traveled to some unique remote places uh to go diving and such uh what sort of changes have you seen in those places that are you know vastly removed from uh from most human contact yeah well you know most everywhere that i've traveled around the world and places i've dove or explored i will find trash uh, I will find especially plastic trash. It's, it floats really well. It blows on the breeze, depending on what, you know, type we're talking about. And yeah, I mean, I, I was on snake Island, uh, which, you know, does not get foot traffic at all. You're not supposed mm-hmm. to be on there. So we were working with the Brazilian government to even be there. And there are some biologists and stuff that go there that are studying the snakes, but obviously it's not really, um, you know, it's, it, this is trash that's floating up onto the shoreline. And, and I, I made kind of a, like a, I was calling it a snake baffle when we, when we were setting up our hammocks out of the plastic bottles I'd been jamming into my, into my backpack. And I, I like cut all these little splayed edges and put it around the, put the line through the neck of the bottle. It's like hoping to keep the snakes out of my sleep, out of my uh, hammock for the night. But um, so in that sense, it came in handy. I was trying to make, you know, what, what's, how does the saying go? Uh, make a silk purse out of a sow's ear or whatever. Um, well, that's not very environmentally friendly. Let's make lemonade out of lemons. There we go. I sustainable was, what, lemons. Yeah, sustainable, sustainably harvested lemons. Yes. Anyway, oh man, we could take that so far. But uh, yeah, everywhere that I've been, uh, I have seen, you know, our plastic footprint, if you will, and it's, and that's not an uncommon experience. I think all of us divers, you know, I, I carry a mesh bag with me specifically for on every single dive specifically for just picking up trash. And so, and I usually free dive, I would say nine times out of 10, I free dive 
And uh, so now both, you know, whenever I go free diving, whether it's with just a buddy or with my most favorite dive buddy, my, my son, we always bring a bag and we're collecting stuff on the surface all the way down to the bottom. I mean, I have found this one time I, I saw this fish like doing this really weird thing on the bottom and I couldn't tell what was going on. And then I swam down and it had swam into a plastic bag, like a, like a Ziploc type bag that I couldn't see the rest of it, you know, and it was down on the bottom and, uh, and was in there, it was still alive. So I got the little fish out and collected the bag up and stuff. So that's like a happy story, but, uh, the, yeah, it's a bummer. I mean, that our, our impact is, is seen everywhere. You know, on that note though, I think it's really important to point out that we got here by individual decisions that came together for the collective impact, whether it was in voting, uh, you know, or whether it was in our consumer choices, but our individual on so many levels, this is, you know, obviously it's a complicated situation, but on so many levels, we got to where we are with climate change, with our plastic pollution, with all of the other impacts that we have based off of our individual decisions that come together like drops in a bucket and make that impact. I mean, the ocean is made up of these drops, right? And it's vast. And those are like our decisions that we make individually. They come together and they're powerful as hell. And that is what I always am striving for to harness from the individual and then bringing the collective together. And I think, you know, and like what is happening with two degrees C and, and all of that, it's bringing these individual pieces together for the collective you know, knockout. <laughs> You're listening to a conversation about climate innovation. Coming up. Yeah, you bring me to to the next point, actually, because, you know, um, Megan, you're kind of unique in the fact that you've traveled to so many unique places, as Carson referenced before, you know, uh, when you were filming Snake Island and such. I mean, going to such far-flung destinations that are truly unique, you must have seen some uh, impacts um, of, of change. Maybe you can tell us a bit about those. That's up next when Two Degrees C Climate Chat continues. Blue Ocean Art is the premier collective of marine artists and a proud partner of Two Degrees C. From some of the world's most renowned underwater photographers to painters, sculptors and multimedia artists from around the world, Blue Ocean Art's large collection features moving imagery showcasing the beauty of the world's oceans. Our artist's passion to capture the moments in special places in our oceans affords the rest of us a glimpse into that mystical realm that makes up so much of our planet and has a deep impact on all of us, yet we know so little about. Our shared interest in protecting the environment means we look forward to using the Leaf Climate Sensor on our projects and trips as soon as they're able to reach the critical next stage of product development. Visit www.blueoceanart.com to see their selection of fine art prints and decorative products to bring the beauty of the world's coral reefs and underwater environments into your space. Listeners of the 2 Degrees C Climate Chat podcast can exclusively take 25% off with the code 2 Degrees C at checkout. So Carson, um, how might climate changes over land affect our oceans? So following on a little bit of uh, what Megan uh, 
mentioned in terms of, you know, that something in Colorado can affect something in the ocean. Um, the changes that we're seeing over land as a result of climate change um, have a, you know, huge and profound effect on, on the ocean. For example, um, changes in the atmospheric circulation are bringing rain to places that didn't used to have as much rain as they are getting now. Um, heavier, more extreme precipitation. And if you go, if you have that in a place, for example, along the coast that didn't normally get uh, a lot of rainfall, there's a lot of trash on the ground, a lot of those plastics, and it's just sitting there on the ground waiting to be mobilized by that heavy rain. So you start getting heavy rains, and that stuff washes right into the ocean. Um, that's just been sitting there waiting for, for years, in some cases. And um, yeah, you bring me to to the next point actually, because you know, um, Megan, you're kind of unique in the fact that you've traveled to so many unique places, as Carson referenced before. You know, uh, when you were filming Snake Island and such. I mean, going to such far flung destinations that are truly unique, you must have seen some uh, impacts um, of of change. Maybe you can tell us a bit about those. Yes, absolutely. You know, I I think it's it's probably not gonna be unlike what most have seen if you've traveled and just taken in your surroundings where, you know, a lot, and even here in the United States, I mean, I've, I've traveled extensively on uh, road trips. I've been a big road tripper for, for years and would usually drive between, um, you know, Florida and Colorado. Uh, and so everywhere from here and uh, yeah, as far as, you know, Stake Island and different places that are very remote, the biggest thing that I see is the plastic trash and just, you know, you could see scars on the land where, whether it's agriculture or clearing for, um, well, well, agriculture in general, but like whether it's that or clearing, you know, just for the meat industry or whatever it is. And so I, yeah, I mean, I, I there's evidence, there's evidence everywhere of our impact and you can take that in. And the thing that gets me about it and thinking about climate change as a, the big picture is that it's incredibly overwhelming. And I have suffered from that big time just working in the field of conservation where it can be so overwhelming that it can become paralyzing because I feel so disempowered about what I can actually do as an individual and all of that when I'm looking at at the macro, you know, um, this big wide pic picture of it all. And so what I do, and even when I travel, this is what I do as well, is I funnel that down into specific action items I can do right now to lighten my individual impact. And I'm assuming that's what's prompted uh, this next segment, segment of your life, which is the imperfect conservation. Right. Yeah. So the Imperfect Conservationist is a pilot web series and I have uh, seven episodes coming out in this first run and it is really focused on that. It's, it's based, uh, built around conservation empowerment. So this is just getting an understanding of what and how you can do, like how and what you can do right now to make a positive impact on the world around you. And, you know, I think we often hear so much about hope and like, oh, there's still hope and there's still, you know, we, we haven't reached that, that point of no return yet. And we have all this information and technology and we can make a difference. But hope is this, in, in how I'm looking at it, hope is kind of this thing right here, which is a vital ingredient 
but it's just hovering there. And so conservation empowerment is taking this hope and turning it into action. So what can, what can I do? You know, I've, I've been to so many lectures and talks and now Zoom, you know, webinars and all of this stuff on, on the big picture. And it's incredibly important. I don't want to discredit that at all. It's so important to have an understanding of what the problem is. But we have to move past that and switch our focus from the problem then to the solution, which most, you know, that are in this field do a good job of pivoting there. It's like, okay, well, and here's what you can do. And, and, but often what I find in that scenario is there's still these really, it's still really big action items, you know, like it's, it's kind of abstract and it's left, you know, like it's either, well, buy a new car and, and you'll have less of an impact. Well, everybody can't buy a new car. And then what do we do with the old ones? And it can, it's, there's layers of complication or it could be something along the lines of, well, write letters to your Senator, also really important, but so often we need something that's tangible right in front of us to get that inspiration to keep acting, right? So that's really what the imperfect conservationist is all about. It's these bite-sized action items that are, you know, three things I always work in there whenever I'm considering making a change is making it easy, money-saving, and impactful. I want to, you know, make sure I can do it, that it's easy enough to, to, bake into my busy life as a single mom and doing everything else that I'm doing. And I need to have it easy so I can keep doing it and having it money saving and affordable, especially right now with this pandemic upon us. Um, you know, most everybody's impacted financially and it, it's, it's tough times, right? So and that's always important to just be able to save your money and do something else you want to do. But then also um, the impact is what I love about these little bite-sized things that we can each do is that when they are so easy, they become the backdrop, just kind of like a lifestyle. You forget you're doing them until you inspire somebody else. And that is the most incredible inspiration that comes back to you because that's proof positive about your direct impact that you have on the world right now today, because now somebody that just saw you do this action whatever it is, whatever this little habit changes. And all, my, each episode has one different thing that you can do. Um, and, you know, often this is built off of just my own experience where I've been doing this just because it was actually just making me feel more empowered. Like I have some control over, you know, my world around me and I'm doing something good. And then it's inspired somebody else. And then they start doing it. And that's how your actions you're especially the good stuff starts rippling out and taking on a life of its own. It becomes this great multiplier. And that's how we build this, you know, this force of, of imperfect conservationists, just doing everything we can, the best we can right now. And I think that that's incredibly empowering. It has been for me. And that's what the series is all about is to put that, that in everybody's pocket. I'll, I'll just say, you know, you're, you're, your podcast really embodies, uh, you know, Gandhi's saying of, you know, you know, what you do may seem insignificant, but it's most important that you do it. Um, right. And, you know, I, I learned something from it that I've been using. And that was this, uh, this car bagging idea from one of your early episodes that, you know, if you've forgotten your your re reusable shopping bag in the car, which I always do, yeah, uh, every, do. every single time. <laughs> every time, even <laughs> and, when you, you care. Know, just throw your stuff back in the cart and bag it yeah. at the car. I love that idea. I've used yeah. it uh, two good. or three times already. 
Awesome. Yeah. I love to hear that. Seriously, like that for me is so, that's so incredibly inspiring for me to keep going yeah. and keep, and I was like, even, why didn't even, I ever think of this? Right, <laughs> right. There's just some of these like really simple things that are, you know, more often than not born out of just necessity where it's like, oh God, okay. I forgot my bags again. And I care. I really care. I don't want to keep bringing these awful things home just be out of principle of it if nothing else you know and I kind of and so it just it was just born out of that and and there's so many little tweaks that I that I've made in my life and that I learned from other people and I love getting the engagement and hearing stories like that and at the end of every episode too I encourage people to like let me know if you've used this or if you try something else or if you want me to cover something else you're struggling with on a future episode you know and and so anyway I really this is the, um, sorry, that's the, um, this really, this web series really is the voice to my life's work in many ways. You know, this is my career. This is my, you know, everything I've, I've always been working toward, which is just this, this collective experience of conservation empowerment of being able to, you know, serve others and serve the ocean and really try to, bring ideas together and, and keep that creativity and that empowerment coming, you know, together through the imperfect conservationist. So anyway, I love for people to reach out and I love for people to comment and give me ideas if there's, you know, if there's anything they're struggling with. And it's just, it's, it's a cool platform. I hadn't really branched out into the YouTube platform before, which is where people can find the series. Uh, and if you just go in and type uh, to YouTube and type in the imperfect conservationist, I've, it'll I've pop left up your comments. So Oh, thank you. The Perfect. Roman pool. Yay. But yeah, it's really wonderful. And I, I'm excited to keep this going. So I'm working really hard to promote and build it. And I appreciate everybody and anybody who enjoys it as well to support just by sharing and liking and subscribing and all that stuff. It, it helps hugely building all the numbers in the beginning. And I would love to just create, um, I would love to just keep this this going and have this as a conservation resource that can spread far and wide. Well, I think that um, you know we all thank you for your efforts. It's 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 really inspiring from from our point of view to see somebody who's um, actioning their beliefs um, in the manner that you have over the last um, I don't know how many how many years you've been busy, but it's been a long time since I've heard your name, and uh, I I for one uh, am. am uh, have followed many of the the uh, the paths that you have and uh, and can truly say that um, it is certainly inspiring and uh, we thank Thanks, you for those yeah. efforts and we wish you um, all of the best with the imperfect conservationist and um, you. as megan said before if you, you'd like to follow it um, through youtube at uh, imperfect conservationist or through meganhannygreer.com uh, we encourage you to go sign up and uh, follow along with this journey Thanks absolutely so much. thank you thanks for having me on we can tackle this together guys Thank you. We hope so. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Two Degrees C Climate Chat. If you have a question you would like answered, a topic for discussion, or would like to be a guest on the show, please leave a comment below. We'd love to hear your stories and climate journeys. And if you like what you've heard today, please like, subscribe, and comment wherever you hear your podcasts. 
Next week, we'll be interviewing Peter Hillenbrand from the Central Caribbean Marine Institute. So be sure to check back in then or find out more about the stories you just heard by visiting our blog at 2degreesc.org and connect to others like you via our social media. We'd love to hear your stories and climate journeys. And if you like what you've heard today, please like, subscribe and comment wherever you hear your podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors and partners without which this podcast is not possible with special thanks to Seren Media for producing today's episode. To find out more about our partners, please visit our website. And if you'd like to become a sponsor or partner, please email us at podcast at 2degreesc.org.